0: Alright, good evening everybody. Uh, if you need a, anybody need a handout, raise your hand. Are we all good there? You guys have got this thing down pat, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm so excited we get to go through this tonight. Know it's Labor Day weekend. Don't know if you have big plans tomorrow or no plans tomorrow. But uh, today is going to be a good night as we uh, think through uh, what the Lord keeps um, teaching us. Um, and while I don't get to say this a whole lot, or probably I have the opportunity to, but I should say it more, I love you people. I really, really just cherish the opportunity that you come and allow me to uh, share what I'm learning from God's word to you and help pastor and just love on you folks. It is just the just supreme honor of my life, and um, I just hope you know that. So even if I get if I get rowdy on a Sunday and tell you that you're rotten sinners, it's because I love you. Okay, so I just never ever forget that. Okay. Um, I, I told some, some folks this morning who said, man, th- this is this what I needed to hear, but man, it's hard. I said, if you think it's hard to hear it, imagine what it's like to go through and study and prepare it. Uh, it'll wear you out, uh, but it is a good thing. It's good for all of our souls, and so tonight, uh, same thing. I just I anticipate there's a reason why this group is assembled here tonight, and we're going to look at this passage, uh, so I want to pray for us and say, Father, um, we can uh, really uh, just step back for a moment and, and understand this. You are an incredible God who watches over us, and even on this date, uh, you have known from eternity past the passage of Scripture that we would open up, every person that's seated from the right to the left to the front to the back, um, and this group never being assembled again, maybe never looking at this passage again, you have a reason for us here tonight, and so we just anticipate, and we just look forward to um, the power of your Word, will your Spirit just come and and uh, direct exactly what we need to hear tonight. Uh, We do pray uh, also uh, just for those that are looking like the the hurricane storms coming through uh, the coast. God, would you uh, give people wisdom about when they need to stay or when they need to move? Um, Lord, I just pray that you'd give that wisdom. I pray that you would go ahead and mobilize the forces, uh, some of our our partners that work with relief efforts. God, that they'd be in uh, play to be able to go and help people, uh, depending upon how bad this storm hits, uh, and and more than just rebuilding buildings, we want to see people changed by the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church continue to do that as we reach out and make a difference. Um, so tonight, once again, will you just uh, open up our eyes to some things that we need to see from your word in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so we're in session three as we're going to continue confronting disobedience. Uh, my my hope and prayer the last few weeks we've been doing this. Um, we always don't do this where Sunday morning and Sunday night go really close together. And I've been trying to make sure that this isn't like, well, we heard that this morning, Pastor, but it's like building on top of it and driving it home. But I also realize this. I need repetition in my life. Uh, sometimes there are certain things that I just need to hear over and over. So we're not going to say the same things. We're going to hit it at a different way. Um, but so just as recap, that first paragraph that says, there is a sin or a few sins that easily entangle you. Uh, While we all can struggle with every possible sin imaginable, there are certain sins with which we regularly drift. In session three of Distinctive Discipleship, we're going to narrow down a list to the one to three areas which are critical for you to address right now. Some of you this morning, you sort of thought, hey, I got it. I I, I see where I need to work. Uh, But this is what I want to do to sort of fine tune that just a little bit. Let me ask you a question if you were here this morning and we were thinking through it um, do you do you see how there may be some areas in your own life where you'd say, yes, I struggle here, but some of these have really never bothered me so much Have you, you experienced that as well so so I think this is for us to look at um, and and also reminding ourselves that it's not we cannot blame well, I've just always felt this way, I was born this way, I do this it listen. Any of us right now, if we always acted on every feeling that we have, we know that once again, I, I confess to you this morning, I'd probably be in jail. Uh, knowing that, if I acted on every feeling that I ever had, uh, but what we want to do is to say, you know what? Uh, we want to do what's right, and that means that we can't trust our feelings all the time, right? Uh, some of y'all, you, you you know this. If you go back all the way, uh, any of you ever had those feelings that you thought at the time something was good, something was right, or even let's get real for a second, somebody was right. Make sense I, I, can, I can remember just thinking you know uh, when I went to my my first high school reunion at, at uh, after ten years of uh, being out of high school, uh, which was a few years ago because we're about to be at number 20, oh my goodness, okay anyway um, but when, when, when that hit and I can remember going and seeing people who a lot of times would try to get me to do this or go along that or even different people different girls that I used to be interested in, and then you see them 10 years later, and things are a little bit clearer, and you go, thank you, God, you spared me from that one, that you just, you see things clear, you know what I'm saying? But at the time, can we be real? Certain things might feel right, seem right, you just can't always trust that. You cannot trust that. And so with this, we can't just say, well, every feeling I have means I'm supposed to act upon it. In fact, some of the times the feelings that we have are the exact opposite of what we need to do. Absolutely. And so with this, I want us to um, sort of unpack this for a little bit. Just as a way of reminder, I know we've started this, but we're going through these six categories. We talked last week about delight, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Tonight we're going to talk about disobedience, warning everyone. Next week we get to talk about doctrine, teaching everyone with all wisdom. And before any of you go, oh, that one sounds like a snoozer, um, let me just tell you something. Have you ever been intimidated by this book? ever thought, oh, there's just so much to learn, and it's a big book, and I get overwhelmed by it. we're going to make this so practical for you to say, what's the next thing that I need to learn? What's the next thing that I really need to dig in on? And um, so I'm, I'm really excited about this because sometimes I get overwhelmed. There's so much in here to learn, but I want to unpack in such a, a way um, uh, well, let me go back to this for a second, because I'm just going to fess up to you guys something. Uh, I, I was telling this table over here, last week I was praying and, and uh, thinking through uh, what we're going to preach through in 2020. That's even hard for me to say, 2020, you know, just what, what we're going to do. And, and I was telling them, I, I, what, what I was doing was I was praying. I said, God, I, I, I just, you know, show me what are some of the concerns that we have as a church that need to be addressed from your word. Uh, things came over and over, uh, a few things that came to me uh, was just the issue of anxiety and depression. Uh, we, how, what does God's word say about those that are just struggling in that area? Uh, what does God's word say about finances and how we need to be? I know that doesn't affect anybody in this room one's ever struggled with finances, right? Uh, possibly. Um, but then the other issue that I kept looking at is that in November of 2020 is going to be an absolute chaotic time in our country when we have another election cycle. And this is not a political stump here. This is a pastoral stump here that I'm going to say this. No matter what happens in November next year, half of our country is going to be miserable the next day. You ever think about that? No matter what happens, half the country is going to be mad, frustrated, ready to burn the place down. It's going to be out, out of control. And leading up to it, I feel like, man, you've got to tell me we've got about 14, 15 more months of election stuff, and I'm going, I'm already done. <laughs> I, I've heard enough. I'm done. I, it's just there's, there's going to get so much more volatile, and people are going to be so much more expressive. And so I thought, Lord— What do we need to know from God's word to help prepare our souls for election in 2020? Because it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal. No matter where you you stand on this, no matter what side of the line you're on, whatever, it's going to be a big deal that we have to embrace. And so I kept coming back. I'm going to be honest with you folks. I kept coming back to the book of Daniel. Kept coming back to Daniel who would say, living in a pagan culture under leaders who did not follow the Lord, and saying, how are young men going to continue to stay faithful no matter what the culture does? And there's moments in there where Daniel the prophet or these boys will say, it don't matter who you are, king, let me tell you this, there's the most high God who's in control of all things. He puts people into power. He also brings them down when he wants to. So I was really excited reading through Daniel 1 through 6. The only problem is there's 7 through 12. You ever read that part of the book? that thing is scary. I, and you may say, hey, what does that mean? I don't know. So like my temptation right now is I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? Maybe I'll just do Daniel part one and we're going to go through one through six. And then I'll say, we'll get it seven through 12, another down the line. But then I'm thinking, well, who am I to say sometimes you got to go deeper into doctrinal areas unless I'm willing to do that myself. So I feel like, man, this is going to be a year for me to really dig into 7 through 12 and to think about Christ's second coming and stuff that I would go, yeah, I I, I know what I believe, but I don't know if that's the strongest area of my theology. Does that make sense? So as your pastor, even though I have a few degrees in theology, here's what I'm saying. This coming year, that's what I'm working on right there. It's how I can really dig into the Word, not only that book, but also all the things that are connected there. So that may be your thing or it may be something else, but whatever it is, I think any opportunity to go deeper into knowing who God is is a good thing, right? So, uh, number four is development. We'll look at that in a couple weeks. Present everyone mature in Christ and saying what's a way that you can strengthen and grow and develop in your own maturity, how you can do what you do even better, Uh, whether it's at home, whether it's with a church, whether it's with your job, glorifying God in that manner. Uh, Week number five is going to be discipline for this. I toil, finding a spiritual discipline that you're going to really hone in on. I'm so, so excited about that one as well. And number six is dependence, struggling with all his energy. What are we praying for to happen in your life? So, with that, we look at all those six things. But here's what I want us to do now as we go through this. As we're looking at confronting disobedience, and this section here, consider, it says if you had to compile a list of the top 10 sins devastating our culture right now, what sins would you consider as most rampant? Okay? So if you had to compile a list of the top 10 sins devastating our culture right now, what sins would you consider as most rampant? Uh, Fill out this list as an individual and then share your list with a small group. Each of you starts by sharing one item. Uh, If someone mentions an item on your list, put a star beside it and don't read that one when it is your turn. I'm going to explain this a little bit. What I'm going to do, first step is this. I'm going to give you about a minute. I want you to come up with as many of those uh, top 10 sins that you think these are the things that are devastating our culture right now, okay? So on your own, just I want you to start jotting those down. On your mark, get set, go. And I'll give you the next set of instructions. All right, you probably don't have 10 yet. That's completely fine. Well, here's what I want you to do. At your table, I want somebody who doesn't mind sharing one of the ones that you came up with, okay? Now, if you say, if you say, I think that Um, Greed is one of the biggest sins in our culture right now, okay? Nobody else say that. You say, yep, and you sort of put a star beside it. But then when it comes time to yours, why don't you add one? So just really quick, just everybody sort of adding one to it, and you're going to be kind of filling up your list of top ten, okay? On your mark, get set. The person whose birthday is the closest to now will start and go. All right, as you're going through those lists there, uh, hopefully you're not too depressed just yet, right? Okay? Uh, But... Uh, was it, let me ask you this, was it easy to come up with some of those items on the list? Sort of jumps off at you, right? Okay, now, now here, here's the next thing, though, when you look at that list and you might have five, you might have ten on your list, the question is this, of which items do you need to pay attention? Okay, now you may look at that list and you might be so, so good that you go, oh, none of those, you know, my mine's not really bad, you know, my just... Being too nice, right? Okay, maybe that is yours, but I think probably all of us in here, we might say there's something in there that, that is specific to us. If you feel comfortable to do so, here's what I would encourage you to do. Draw a target. You know what a target is, right? The little circles there. Beside maybe one to three of those items that either personally causes you to stumble or potentially could cause a threat to your discipleship. Which items do you need to pay attention? Huh? How many? One to Three. Are all of them 10, whatever it is, okay? Top, top tier stuff, right? Uh, so if you think through it, obviously there's some. Now, and, and also when you look at this list, let's be honest, here's what I wanna make sure everybody hears me say today. Um, if there is an item on your list, let's just say that, you know, you might see something that is, um, I would put one, um, a sin that is very rampant in our culture right now is abuse, okay? I'd put that as one. Now, I would say right now, that I could never, I'm just going to be honest with you, I could never envision myself getting into that, but could I? The answer is yes. Absolutely I could. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he what? Fall. So, so even with that, um, if, here, here's a, this is a trick question for anybody who's ever thought about, if you are married or thinking about being married, that if you look at your spouse and say, could you ever imagine yourself being unfaithful to me? You want to hear, of course I couldn't, right? But the real answer is, yes, I could. I could do that. You don't want to give somebody false, like, this would never bother me. I would never do, listen, there are certain things that go, no, I would never, ever, ever do that. I would pray that. But, folks, I know the human heart. I know the weakness of myself. I know how easy I can justify things in my own life. And so with that, you never want to say that I I would never do this. But are there certain things on this list that are further down the line than the things that you know, like this stuff is dangerous. Right here, right now, that stuff is not really so much of my concern right now. And so that's why it's so important for us to come to a list. I want you to turn to your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, We're going to study this passage here for a little bit this evening to help us understand uh, the verses were referenced today, but I really, really want to unpack them here tonight. As we look through, what does it mean to get rid of that sin that entangles us? Really pulls us in, trips us up, uh, and makes sure that we, we need to um, do what we uh, have to to embrace Him. Um, if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, by the way, we don't know exactly who wrote it. Not sure. Um, some people think Paul wrote it because it's very... Uh, it sounds very educated when you read it, okay? But if you really look at the original language, it just doesn't read like Paul wrote. So that's why if you look at your New Testament, um, when it starts getting to the letters or the epistles, uh, you see the first one, or if you look at the New Testament, right, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and what's the next book? Romans, right? Well, why is Romans there? Because Romans is Paul's letter that is the longest. That's why I was put there. And then the last one that you're going to see uh, that, that is written for sure by Paul is a little book called Philemon, because that's the shortest. So Paul's letters go Romans to Philemon, longest to shortest, basically. That's how they're compiled there. Are they in order chronologically? Nope, they're all over the place. So Hebrews is the first letter. Uh, Hebrews to Jude or somebody else's letters. They're just not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews. Some people think maybe they got it wrong, maybe it was Paul, but Paul normally would even write his his name on a letter, right, most of the time. Uh, Some people think that it might have been somebody like um, Barabbas, some encouragement somebody. Some people think it might be Priscilla and Aquila, a couple that was very versed in the Scriptures. Some people even think it might have been like a woman like Aquila that was a woman who wrote this but knew if she put a woman's name on it back in those days, no man would have read it. Who knows? Uh, there's, There's a lot of guesses, but I'll know this. Whoever wrote this book, they know the heart of God and the word of God through and through, and speaks basically this. This is the point of the letter Jesus is better. And you go, of what? Anything. <laughs> It's better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Abraham, better than all these people. He's better, 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 and you need to see him as that. And so what happens is, is then in chapter 12, it's probably, I would say, the most quoted sections of Hebrew, but it's been leading up all the way through 11 chapters of saying, Jesus is better than all of these Old Testament saints. In fact, what is the first word in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1? Therefore. Now, my seminary professor taught me this, lesson. I'm going to teach it to you, and you're going to be blessed because of it. If you ever read therefore in the Bible, you need to know what it is there for. Got that? <laughs> Y'all just got an honorary doctorate in theology tonight. Right now, I just gave it to you. Now, you may go, well, what's the point of that? Of course, that's what that means. Because we jump in in chapter 12, verse 1, and you're not even considering. There's been 11 chapters leading up to that therefore. He's been talking Jesus is better, Jesus is greater, better than the sacrificial system, better than all these Old Testament heroes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of what? Witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So once again, he says, therefore, this is important for you to know. And then it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, there are two possibilities for who is the great cloud of witnesses. A lot of people would say, well, Travis, do you have a cloud of witnesses around you in your life? Well, sure I do. You folks right here. You're, You're people around me, surrounding me that are following and witnessing to the work that Jesus has done in your own life. So some people say, well, since we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, keep on going. But that word, therefore, teaches us something. He's pointing backwards, right? He's saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who would those witnesses be? I'm so glad you asked. Look at chapter 11. Really quick. Let's go back just one chapter. This uh, chapter, it may not say this on your subheading, but a lot of people will call this the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's a list of people in the Bible that really showed faith really well. Look at verse 1. uh, through which he was committed as righteous, God committing by, by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, he, though he died, he still speaks. That's a strong word, by the way. Though that man is dead, his faith is still speaking to us today. So he starts off by saying, hey, by faith is the way we do all this. And he starts off by going all the way back to Abel. This is Genesis chapter 4. This goes way, way back. So who is part of the great cloud of witnesses in our life? Well, it's going all the way back to Abel. So it's, it, it's not necessarily the people around you right now as much as it is, look at our legacy of faith. Look at all the way back down to Abel. And, and you see in a little paragraph uh, on the, your page here, it says, from Abel to David, the author shows how these distinct individuals all experienced different trials but proved to be faithful through their lives. These people weren't perfect, but they did show progress. So example, if we're at Abel for a moment, you know that Abel gave a good sacrifice— and God was not as pleased with his brother Cain's sacrifice, right? So what did Cain do? He went back and said, I'm going to offer a better sacrifice and do better next time, God? No, he just killed his brother. That's all of it. Oh, God, you're happier with his than mine? And God says, hey, why don't you just do better next time? That's what he says. Now, sin's crouching at your door, big boy. Be careful here. But I'm just saying, your face doesn't need to look like that. Just do better. Just give me a better sacrifice. And a lot of people go, well, what was wrong about Cain's sacrifice, um, it says that Abel gave one from the flock and Cain gave one from the field. So uh, Abel is the shepherd, Cain is the farmer. And so some people go, well, God likes sheep more than he does a farm. Now, this is what it says. Abel gave from his first flock. What was that? He gave his absolute best that he had. And Cain just gave leftovers. God, you want something? Here you go. Here you go. And Abel says, what is the best thing I can offer him? Here you go, here you go, God. And God's received it well, and Cain is mad. He's jealous. I know y'all have never struggled with that, right? God's blessing him now, and I deserve this. And so he gets really frustrated, really upset. And yet, though Abel is dead, through that, his faith still speaks today. What was in his faith then? His faith, he well... He gave a sacrifice, an innocent sacrifice that would take the place of what maybe he deserved, right? So this is a beautiful thing. I want you to turn over, though, on the back side. Because in these uh, verses, like I said, it goes from Abel all the way to David. And here's one. It says, can you name an area of disobedience for these people mentioned? If you are unsure, use the accompanying verses to discover the answers. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give each table a number, or just give you a name, actually, and I want you to look at these verses together. Some of you would know these names, and you know, oh, I know what that person's issue was. But I want you to do a little bit of research here for a second. So here we go. Y'all, y'all look up at me. I'm going to give you a name. Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, David, okay, Again, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, David, Moses. Sorry, David, not Moses. Okay. Rahab, Carl, David, you guys, Abraham, Sarah, all the way in the back. Jacob. Actually, you all have Moses and Rahab way in the back, okay? I want you all to look up those verses real quick. I want you to look, and I want you to see if you can determine what is a sin that is mentioned in this person's life. Find what sin is mentioned in these verses. All right. If you found the sin, say oh yeah. oh yeah. If you didn't, say oh no. All right. Good. All right. All right. From one of my tables. All right. So you may not look up all these verses, but if I if I if I call the name of the person you looked up, I want you sort of somebody don't mind telling us what it is. The rest of us can fill in the blank there. Uh, what was Abraham's sin that we found? He lied, right? And what did he lie about? His wife, hey, can you go in here? Listen, uh, honey, uh, you are a very pretty lady, and I'm afraid we go into this new city, everybody else is going to see that you're pretty. And if they see me with you, they might hurt me so they can get to you. So just tell everybody you're my sister. Well, there's a good man to follow, right? <laughs> that, that, this is, listen, Genesis 12, by the way, you see where that is? Let me tell you when God calls Abram in verses 1 through 3. One through three, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to bless all the nations of the earth. Somebody's coming from your family. It's going to change everything. (gasps) That sounds great, God. What's the next thing he does? Lies. Now, once again, I say this all the time around here, but I want to make sure you hear me. If I was writing the Bible and I was making it up, superstitious, making up stories, I would not put that in there. Leave that out. Leave that out. Do not put in there, God has just called Abraham out of all the people in the world to be a blessing so that he can change the world through that family and go, by the way, he was so scared he was going to get beaten up or killed that he lied about his wife's identity, and therefore, keep reading the passage, guess what? You know what the king is going to say when he finally finds out? Why would you do this to me? Now I've sinned. What does that imply? Not only was Abraham's wife Sarah thought of as his sister, but somebody else took her as his own wife. Now, this, now Abraham's in this list of faith here. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of better about my chances might be it, right? Now you look and go, you mean to tell me, Abraham, you would mess up at that level? But he did. Abraham lied. Um, and guess what also happened? This is, this is a good warning for every single person here, especially if you're a parent. Guess what his son Isaac does later in life? Same exact thing. Same exact thing. Um, all right, who had Sarah? What, what sin do we see in Sarah's life? Line, Disbelief? Yeah, she couldn't believe, did she? Yeah, didn't believe God, so lack of faith here, right? God says, you're going to have a child, and she starts busting out laughing. <laughs> there ain't no way, God, this is happening. I don't know if I need to give you an education course on how this works, but it is not working here. God, I do not believe uh, can I ask you this? Is, is it a sin to disbelieve God's promise to you? Yeah, it is. When God says, I'm going to take care of this, I'm going to, and, and yeah, I, I don't believe it. So Sarah's sin was disbelief. All right? Who had Jacob? What did y'all see about Jacob? He had lied about his identity? He's a deceiver, the trickster. I know you know nobody in your life like that, right? But somebody just constantly, constantly lying. Uh, What about Moses, somebody? Yeah, so Moses struck the rod by his own effort, disobeyed God. The second time, remember I talked this morning about that time he struck the rock? Second time a situation like this happens, and another situation, and God says, Moses, go up and speak to the rock. And what does Moses do? He strikes it twice. Hits again, water comes out. And what was Moses doing? I believe what Moses was doing that moment is he wanted all the Israelites to see his muscles flexing and his staff going through the air when that water came out. So they go, whoa, Moses did that. Yeah, didn't give glory to God. Because if he would have just, okay, if you strike a rock with a stick and water comes out, somebody might somehow misdirect and think you did that. But if you go up to a rock and say, Fina" and it starts pouring out, you know you didn't do that. You do not have that power, okay? God is going to get the glory for that, amen? He's going to get the glory. But if if your muscles are flexing and you're pounding that rock two times, they might think, wow, there's something special about Moses. No, 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 no. So he stole the glory of God. And by the way, what did that cost him? He didn't get to see the promised land with his own two. He saw it from afar but didn't get to cross over into it. Um, What about Rahab? Okay, she was dishonest. That's right. And what was, what was her occupation, too? She was a prostitute. It's not the type of occupation that you say, Lord, I'm thinking about a new venture in life. Is this? Are you okay with this, right? So she was someone who was selling herself in that type of way. That, that's serious, serious stuff there. What about old King David, the man after God's own heart? Adultery and murder, Adultery and murder okay? Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, in, in this situation with Bathsheba, not only does he commit adultery, but then he kills her husband so he can cover up his tracks. Um, now, you look at these and you can see some stuff, there's some deceit in all of these, but do you realize that the sin that characterizes each of these in the heroes Hall of Fame of Faith, kind of different from each other, aren't they? Um, they're... You know, we we see different trends towards different types of things. We see David struggling with things that Moses isn't reported as struggling with. So this next paragraph says, Even in the Bible's archive of faith heroes, we see each of them with certain challenges and particular propensities towards specific sins. In those descriptions, you might discover unique struggles with which to relate and others that you honestly can't imagine. So why are these wayward figures contained in such a list? While all our sinners, Romans 3.23... These individuals portrayed a faith in God's promises amid their inconsistencies. And it says, look at, at how the author described Moses in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. I want us to go back here to Hebrews 11 for a moment. And I meant to go through all these real quick. Um, so in, in, in these descriptions, by the way, oh, we've got, we've got time to do this. Let's, let's go back to verse 4. We're going to move past these really quick, but I want you to see how these characters show up. In here. Verse 4 By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I'll stop right there. Does you remember what Noah did as soon as he got off the boat? Got completely drunk and started running around his family naked. Okay? That... That's serious drunkness, okay, right? That's that, that serious stuff. Some of you are like, that sounds like my family reunion every year. Uncle so-and-so does that, okay? I, I get that. But m- listen, Noah, the most righteous man on earth, God says, I'm going to wipe out everybody but you, boy, because you are so righteous. And as soon as he gets off that boat, he, he, he plants a vineyard and gets so drunk that he's running around naked. That Literally, his three sons, Ham, Sham, and Jepheth, unfortunate names, Walk backwards to try to throw a blanket on dad so they don't have to look at anything or see anything or have to. And yeah, they don't want to go there with old dad and have to do that. So they're throwing a blanket up because they know this there are no counselors left on the earth. Everybody got drowned and they know this, like they need help. And so they throw the blanket on top of them. But one of the sons is just cursed them, going, hey, look at this, and posting on social media and everything. And and, and, and they, they see this, but this is the most righteous man who lives on the earth at this point. Prone to drunkenness and, and just expose himself in all types of ways. And yet, folks, this is beautiful. When the Bible remembers him, what's it remembering him for? His faith. I, I remember some of those things, and God's wanting us to remember. Look, look what he did, though. He had faith enough to say, and God said, I want you to build me a boat because a storm's coming. And he goes, What's a storm? You just need to start building, boy. (laughs) Just trust me. And he did it. Uh, Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Stop. That's a beautiful line for some of us right now at a crossroads in our life. God, I I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. You go out even though you don't know where you're going. You take him by faith, step by step. I trust you, God. I, I don't know where this is leading. Can you trust the one God? You don't know where he's heading? Can you trust him? And so he he leaves. He goes out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. No, wait a minute. Sarah, right? Now, when I, we first hear Sarah, she's laughing at God in disbelief, but what happened eventually? She did believe it was going to happen. Verse 12, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged them that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, fearfully speaking, he did receive him back. You catch that? A lot of times we look at Abraham going, was he just going through and saying, okay, well, if i got to kill him, i got to kill him. This verse allows us to understand this. Abraham believed in the power of resurrection. Even if I have to go through with this, I know God can raise him back from the dead. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now let's look at this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, folks, that is a powerful, powerful statement. Where he says, Moses decided it's better to be mistreated alongside God's people than enjoy a passing pleasure of sin. That's the struggle with disobedience, folks. It's um, When I was much younger and people would tell me, you know, people out there living in the world, doing whatever they want to, they're not having fun out there. Oh, yes, they are. Yes, they are having fun out there, but it's for a season. It's for a moment. It's, you get through with this, and it satisfies you for about .5 seconds, and then you want a little something more. It's never enough. It's never enough. There's something inside the more that we get into disobedience. It's just like, You're you're drinking from something, there's there's a hole in the bottom of the cup, and you just have to keep filling it up and filling it up, and it just keeps pouring out, and it's unable to satisfy you. And so what does Moses say here? How does he summarize Moses' thinking regarding sin? It was passing pleasure, momentary pleasure. Just there for a moment, if you think through, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So what Satan wants to do when he tempts us with whatever that area of disobedience is, he wants us to put the blinders on, right? Put on these goggles where all you can see is, I have a need and I want it met right now. And he goes, oh, you want the fastest, best way to do that? This is where I want you to go. And what you don't see is all the years of regret and headache that's accompanying that he's good at sort of shielding you from that. In fact, um, if you go to Proverbs chapter 6, when uh, Solomon is speaking to his son, he says, son, be careful of that wayward woman. Glancing with her eyelashes, seducing you. You know what she's doing? She's leading you in, and she has seductive speech and seductive uh, things that she's going to do to you. And you know what she's doing? She's leading you like an ox to the slaughter. What? That don't sound nice. It's not, okay? She is literally saying, no, 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 come this way. This will be great. And and all you do is you see that. Man, that's good. It's just absolutely, it's just that I see what I want to see, and all of a sudden you don't realize this. You are being led into the stall to be slaughtered. And that's what sin is. And every kind of capacity is this. This is quick. This is fast. This is easy. This is good for you, and you don't see years of regret. All types of consequences all around this. And so Moses could see this. I see the power of this. I'm going to choose. I'd rather be mistreated here as a slave, as a runaway, than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. That's what I would rather do. And so I think that also teaches us this thing right here, folks, that if you want to choose God's way, sometimes that means that you're going to forsake instant gratification for a greater reward. How how often is it for us that... um, not Not in every situation, but let 's just be honest here, we can go into so many different capacities of this, but um Friday uh, afternoon, I went and spoke to a, a Christian school here in the area for their chapel and had a real quick kind of time don 't know these you know don 't know all the students in here, knew some of them from our our church family, and they want me to come speak to them. So I I speak from 2 Timothy 2.22, that now flee from youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. You know, where so many, I'll say young people, but I also know this relates to every single one of us, where so many of us struggle in so many areas is that we have a desire, and follow me really quick here, sometimes they're God-given desires, but we want them met in an unhealthy way at an unhealthy time. That's the problem. For, for a young person who goes, I just have these desires that I want to be with somebody else. And I go, that's a good desire, but it's not the right time. It's not the right way. And so the, the, the deal is, is that Satan always wants to say, you got these desires. God has a way about doing this, but it's going to take you about another eight years before you're able to really do enjoy it, you know, teenager. You don't want to go down that path. you got needs now. I want you to have them met right now. And God's word says, no, 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 no. There's a better way, a more enjoyable way, a more lasting way, but sometimes that means saying no to certain things so you say yes to something better. And every area of disobedience is the same thing. Folks, um, when I said the thing about like um, finances and whatnot, our, our whole system in our country is telling you, go in debt right now to get the things that you want right now, and you'll be better off. And they don't tell you that what you, the rest of your life you'll be doing is paying off interest on top of the interest and bouncing this credit card to pay off that credit card and getting in so much trouble that you go, no, 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 but instant gratification, I need that right now. And they'll say, oh, you can get it right now, and you don't have to make payments for six months. <gasps> well, that sounds great, except month seven is 23% interest or whatever. You see what I'm saying? like it, This just happens in such a way that the world is telling you instant gratification, instant gratification. And Moses says, I, I would rather be mistreated, go through some suffering, go without so that when I do get the reward, it's even that much sweeter. And, and so a lot of times saying no to certain things is saying yes to something even better and more fulfilling. When you look, it says the author of Hebrews wants us to keep their stories in mind as we fight against sin. In these verses, we discover four steps of which we should remember. So if we're back in chapter 12, now looking at sort of that context of those great cloud of witnesses, it says, therefore, since we were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So the first thing there you see is... um. I would say, learn from those before you. Learn from those before you. The more that we are in the word of God and the more that we see what Abel did and what David did and what Moses did, folks, they are giving you a cliff notes version of saying, I've been there, done that path, been there, done that, got the t-shirts, not worth the trip. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Um, how often do I want to be able to look at whether well, it's my children or somebody else in life to say, let me tell you what you got to be careful of right here at this point in your life, okay? You do this. And so it's learn from those before you. Um, if you think through a uh, a person in the Bible that you just go, man, I feel like I have learned so much from this individual. Like while watching their story uh, or or looking through some of the lessons that they taught other than Jesus, okay, for a second, <laughs> Who is a character in the Bible that you go, man, I have learned so much from as I've studied it? Anybody, give me one. Paul, Paul? okay, great. Somebody else? Daniel, David, Moses, Peter. So you look at these individuals, right, and you go, they're not perfect, but sometimes when they get it right, man, they got it right, and when they got it wrong, they went back to the grace that they needed. And so here's what I'm saying. The Bible is full, and I think, God that it shows all the issues with all of our Bible heroes, right? Every single one of them. Only Jesus is the one who looks good. The rest of them are a train wreck, okay, at most times. And why, why in the world, if you were trying to get people to follow your religion, shouldn't you just put Daniel as this wise king who always does right? And the Bible goes, here's his scars, here's his warts, here's his issues. Let me put them all out on display for you to see why. Because this isn't a religion about men and women getting it right. This is about men and women realizing their need for a Savior. That's what it's about all the way across. So learn from those before you. Look through all those different uh, people in the Bible, and you look and say, okay, they decided to do that, and I want to be careful of making the same decision. And so you look and say, what can I learn from uh, anybody uh, in Scripture, anybody through this uh, that I can learn from and, and make sure that I'm really careful following their example. This is for every person here. This is for pastors. Can I tell you that? Um, I was uh, at a meeting with a group of pastors recently where, um, well, I'll say this. I'll summarize this. Um, one pastor was asking if it was acceptable, he thought, to give their different staff members a quota for how many baptisms they should have every year in their department. Youth pastors should get this many. The children's pastors should get this many. Here's the number you ought to get this coming year. Should they get a quota? And I'm thinking it was a joke. He was joking. And I'm sitting here thinking, are we having this conversation? And so then they started talking about the, uh, the season of growth their church was in. And he starts telling us all these numbers. And, you know, from this point last year and now to this point this year since I've been here, this is how much our church has gone up in attendance. And we're at this percentage. And I— when he says the numbers, how many people are going up, this is where I, I was glad that the Holy Spirit gave me the uh, fruit of the Spirit of self-control this moment because he starts saying, you know, from this time last year to this point, we're at this place, and I'm going, oh, is that it? That's what I wanted to say. I didn't, though, in my my, my own flesh, right? He starts boasting, look at what's happening, look at what's happening, look at what's happening, and I just sat there. And and he's talking about that, and and one of the things that, you know, we try to share as a church when we get together and do ministry meetings, we say, here's where we are. We don't broadcast it out there to everybody else. It's kind of internal information we want to share, but to say, okay, God's sending us more people. What do we do with it? And so I was sitting there, and I just, I was so bothered. I was telling Amanda about this conversation later about how this person was asking these questions, and my dear wife looked at me, and she goes, oh, no you said something, didn't you? And I was like, what what do you mean? And she's like, I just know. You you opened your mouth and said something at that point. I was like, you don't know that? She goes, yes, I do. She goes, you lost some friends, didn't you, Trav? And I'm like, okay, maybe. Um, But this is what I said. I said, you know, it's interesting you saying that. I said, you know, about numbers and about all these different things. I said, we look at the book of Acts, and we do see that God counted numbers. He did. 3,000 people got saved that day. 5,000 were part of the church. It was something they celebrated. Why? Because these were people. And I said, in the Bible, we realize that. I said, but also if you look in the Old Testament, you notice there's one time where God commanded his people to take a census. He commanded them, I want you to count how many people are here for a few different reasons. One was to make sure everybody reading this know this was a real group of people. And these lives meant something. And look what God had done to rescue this group of slaves into this and make them a people. And so God commanded them, you take a census and you count them and you list them. And that's why some of you have a struggle reading the book of Numbers and some of the Chronicles books because it's name after name after name after name. Uh, why is that? He said, I want you to do that. I said, but then there's another time in the Bible where David took a census and God punished the entire nation because of it. Now, one time he commands him to take a census, and another time he actually makes the whole country get in trouble because he took a census. Why is that? Because one of those numbers was about God's glory, and one of those numbers was about man's glory. And I said, brothers, we better be real careful here about what we're trying to accomplish here. Are we wanting to glorify what God is doing among our people or what God is or what? God should be honored that we have done for his people. There's a big difference there. Now, I'm sitting there in this meeting. Once again, I did lose friends, and yes, I did speak, and yes, I'm in trouble, and I get that. But I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, thank you, God, for that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, that we can learn from their mistakes. We can look. Make sure you don't make this about your kingdom, Trav. Make sure you don't make this about what you can do. And so we have all these opportunities. I'm telling you, from from Ruth to David to John, you name it, so many lessons that we can learn from them. But number two, I think he teaches us this, lay aside the sin that entangles you. He says, since we're surrounded by all those folks, we better be learning from them and let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely or entangles us. So it entangles us, it trips us up, so we learn from those examples around us and we lay aside the sin that so easily entangles you. So folks, once again, we've been hitting it all day. What is that sin or top sins that just keeps entangling you? What is it? And I believe that if I made everybody hold up your card right now, don't worry, I'm not going to do that. And you said, this is my sin today. There would be some of you in this room that had the same shared sin. That would happen. But it wouldn't be universal across the board. Not all of us would be in the same place. So what is that sin that is easily entangling you? And you've got to say, i got to bend down, untie the shoestrings, get some stuff out of the way, and I've got to start moving towards I know how to walk clearly and very in a straight line from this point and then it says let us lay aside every weight the sin is so clean so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so we want to labor through the race before you so that means like it sounds like hard work but if you really really want to grow and and see this you got to get rid of that sin and you got to keep moving on that race can i can i just tell you guys this um I think it is something so encouraging, and I think everybody in this room, you've probably had a moment like this, and they don't come all the time. But do you know that moment in your life where you've had the opportunity to sin and you said no? Now, once again, if I'm going to be honest with you, I probably say yes a lot more times than I say no. But I think in this room, some of you know what it's like to have the opportunity to sin and follow me this, and nobody might even know about it. And when you choose obedience... It's like, God, this was just for you. Just for you. Nobody else saw this. Like I said, everybody in this room, y'all are on your best behavior tonight. Y'all look all so holy and lovely and just everything is good, whatever. But y'all know this. You, you take you take away all that other stuff, all these other people, and we get down to the real you, right? And can we labor through the race that is set before you? Um, I can remember years ago when I had um, another mentor of mine that had fallen to an immorality. Uh, I was spending some time up at... Uh, look up lodge for a retreat. Have my Bible out, have my guitar out, just sort of spending some time in worship, just out there by the, the lake there, and uh, and just started writing a song that was um, "Make Me Holy." It was basically the, was the theme of the song, They're like God, I want you to make me holy. And the and the chorus of the song was real simple, but it's, uh, if I can remember it, um, but it says, "From everything that others see, to what is known by only you and me, make me holy." So, God, what everybody else sees about me to what only you know about me. I want to be holy. Uh, I I learned years ago that um, if I was to ask you this question, this would be uh, if you were to ask the people around you, what are you like? The person said this to me. He says, Why don't you do this, Pastor? He says, Why don't you write down what your church thinks about you right now? Like what kind of person you are? Write down adjectives. So I was writing down adjectives, blah, blah, blah. And he said, All right, now, next column. Now, I want not you write down adjectives of what God thinks about you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right, now he goes, look at those two lists. Are they the same? My lists weren't the same. My church thought a whole lot better of me <laughs> than probably God did at that moment. They, that, he goes, first column, that is your reputation. Second column, that is your character. And if these two don't line up, you're a hypocrite and a fake. What others think about me compared to what God knows about me? Hey, laboring through this race is this. I'm going to consider all those that have made it. I'm going to get rid of that sin, and I'm going to keep pushing on through this like it's a race, and it's hard, and it's exhausting, and you keep moving on through. And then here's the thing that's so important. Look at verse 2. How do you fight against sin? How do you get rid of it? How do you confront this disobedience? Do you look to the sin? No. Do you look to everybody else's struggle? No. looking to who? Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god we have to realize that we've got to look to jesus who can keep you when you are struggling with sin stop staring at the sin and start looking at jesus and you go is, is how, how would that change let me tell you, while some of us have struggled in the past, some of you have made commitments, you've made New Year's resolutions, you made promises to God that you were going to stop doing that sin, and all you kept doing was, don't do that sin, don't do that sin, don't do that sin. And guess what? That's all you are thinking about. you got to get your mind off of it. you got to address it, acknowledge it, say this is how I'm going to fight it, and then get your mind preoccupied with something a lot better than that sin. Jesus, start thinking about him who went to the cross so he can cover that sin, and hopefully you won't want to run to it all the time over and over and over again. So you start fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Now he's seated at the right hand of God, which means this, you want access to power? Oh, you got power. Look to him. He is strong. He works there inside of us that we have to think through. And so tonight, just these last couple of things, um, I want this just a way for you to think through. You can discuss maybe with uh, people on the way home tonight or, or with a group later. But what is currently entangling you and tripping you up as you seek to follow Jesus? What is it? What is currently entangling you and tripping you up as you seek to follow Jesus? Now, there's a lot of things in here that we could say, okay? A lot lot of things that we could do um, in here. I want to give us just an example really quick because I don't want to give you guys like momentum and saying I need to do this, and you don't know what to do with it. Let's just say today that there might be some of you in this room that said, you know what, my speech keeps getting me in trouble. Right? Like you you see the words coming out and you want to catch them and put them like oh no that they're going and and you say something sarcastic or you're 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 demeaning people it just sort of like constantly comes there. Now if that happens, if that was the thing that was tripping you up, I'm not wanting any confessions here tonight, okay? There's a little awkward moments. Uh but if that was the thing, let me ask you a question. This is something I want you see that next question. What must you do to fight it? If, if somebody came up to you tonight and said, I am struggling with my speech, like I can't stop just getting myself in trouble and putting my foot in my mouth, let's get real for a second. I want you to think through, what are some things, if you were discipling someone, that you would tell them to do to help combat that? There might be some things you tell them they need to start doing, some other things they need to stop doing, some things they need to consider. What are some things, if someone said their speech kept getting them in trouble, if you were discipling them and start telling them an action plan, what are some things that you would encourage them to do? Somebody give me an answer. Sing. Sing. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Hey, now listen, that's such a good thing. James 3 says this, from your mouth comes blessing and worship to God and cursing your brother. Does a fountain give you bad water and good water? Uh-uh. It should be one thing. So if your mouth is full of evil, cursing other people, start singing, start worshiping the Lord. You better fill your mouth up with something because I guess guarantee what's going to normally come out, right? So worshiping and just training your mouth. I don't speak like that. I'm going to use my mouth for something good, God glorifying. That's a great one. What's something else? You, yeah, memorize, memorize some scripture. Oh goodness, stuff like Ephesians 4:29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it may give grace to those who hear. Blah. No unwholesome word. How about three a day, God? <laughs> right? Just four or five. Let No unwholesome word. You memorize those verses of Scripture, and guess what's going to happen? Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit comes in John 14, 26 to remind you of the word that's been deposited in you. And so all of a sudden, you're, you have that moment to be sarcastic, and the Holy Spirit's going to go, hey, remember that verse you memorized last week? Now's the time to apply it, bro. Now's the time to apply it. So memorizing words on, on what you're, uh, memorizing this, the word on what your words should be. What's something else you tell somebody to do? Yep. Uh, focus on how you feel when things are said to you. That's good. Focus on how you feel when things are said to you. Folks, I guarantee there is a word, a phrase, or a moment in your life you can go back to and say, when that person said that to me, oh, it hurt. Man, it hurt, and it changed you, and it hopefully should make you think a little bit different about what you say. I probably remember, it when it just even you saying that, thing that probably hurt me worse than anything I ever heard in my life, maybe, maybe, but I remember one as a young man, my mom was dating somebody, and I wanted a daddy so bad. Oh, I wanted a dad, and I was just praying, God, I hope this marriage works out. I hope they get, I hope they get married, and I'm gonna have a dad. This is gonna be good, and one night, I was eavesdropping on the conversation. Probably shouldn't have been doing that, but I was seven, get over it, okay, And I hear him say to my mom, I would love to marry you, but you got excess baggage. Guess who that was? Now, when you hear a word like that at seven, you talk about changing the way you start thinking through things. But to your point, if I can get there and just acknowledge that for a second, you know what it's going to change the way that I do? My children will never feel like they're ever a burden to me. I'm never going to use a word to say that somehow a child is a burden to anybody else. I want to lift that up in such a way, so you're right. Sometimes you've got to go there and go, "That hurt really bad, and I don't want to be that for somebody else. I think it's a great point. What else would you say? Let's give a couple more. Yes, sir. Remember God, Remember God is watching you. That's a good point, right? He is there. He sees it all. He hears it all. And he did not, uh, God doesn't need a hearing aid either. Going, what did he say? He got it, okay? Clear. And you you remember that. There's never a moment where God's not watching you, folks. It's a good thing. Yep. Do what now? Yeah, read the life of Peter, study someone in the Bible that struggled with just speaking and getting himself in trouble and learn from that. So you guys are hitting on it. So once again, now now take that back for a second. And if you were to say, all right, well, maybe my speech isn't it for me, but whatever it is for you, can you start thinking of a game plan to start doing memorizing this studying this person here getting an accountability partner learning this deciding to do this instead of that uh st- put that off put this on you just start working towards that folks i'm just telling you don't don't just murmur about your sin anymore okay don't just continue that yes sir steve Yeah, it's not about you, for sure. Yeah, that's good. So just to remind ourselves, it's not about me. So when I'm fighting against sin, it's because I want to glorify God and put Him up high versus myself. There's a um, clip. Uh, I'll end I'll, I'll on this. One of one of Man of the Boy's favorite song is a, a song by Tadashi called "Make War," uh, and it is a uh, it's a uh, Christian hip-hop song that I will normally listen to when I'm running because it makes me run faster uh, but it, the first part of it is it takes a sermon out sermon clip before it goes into the, the, the song and it's, uh, he says, that it's, a, it's a sermon clip from John Piper, and I probably can memorize, I think I have it memorized, but he goes, he goes, I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their frailties and their failures, and I see so little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Make war! And then the song goes, and then he's, okay, I, I, I should just let you do it, okay? But but, but folks, isn't that good for us to remember? Like so many people murmuring, I'm this way and I'm struggling, blah, blah, blah. Stop whining about it and make war with it. It's waged war against your soul. Why don't you fight back a little bit? So I pray tonight you know what the issue is. Let's start getting real with it. So, Father, help us make war. Let us fight and fight as hard as we possibly can, because if this stuff is trying to take us out, we want to live for you. It's not about us. It's for your glory, and we hate the kind of stuff that puts you on the cross. So help us run and fight against it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank y'all. Love you.